When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Psychic paranormal investigator John Russell is here to address such topics as haunted houses and objects and ghostly phenomena. When John was five... He was awakened by an intrusive ghost who not only scared the wits out of him, but also opened up a portal that activated his psychic gifts and allowed a never-ending parade of paranormal manifestations to occur in John's life. We're going to talk about his psychic awakening and the abundance of mind-blowing otherworldly confrontations he's experienced, as well as the life lessons those many supernatural encounters have taught him. John has over 45 years of expertise as a professional psychic, with a worldwide clientele, and as a paranormal investigator who has witnessed over 800 supernatural manifestations. He's also been an avid motorcyclist for over 50 years. He's the author of Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic. John Russell, welcome to the program. How are you? Richard, I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a great night. Looking forward to it. So how much do you remember about that ghostly intrusion when you were five years old? Can you take us back? I can take you back, Richard. I remember everything about it just like it was yesterday. Uh, I was sound asleep in bed, and uh, my parents had a nightlight down the hallway, so in case I had to get up during the night, I could see to, to get down the hallway to where the bathroom was. And there were other doorways going off of that hallway. So I was uh, in my bed, sound asleep, and I woke up all of a sudden totally, completely wide awake. No drowsiness, no grogginess, and I knew I wasn't dreaming. I knew I wasn't having any kind of vision or anything. I, I was just suddenly wide awake, and it must have been around 1 or 2 in the morning, I guess. It was pitch black, and I thought, well, maybe I heard a noise outside, and that's what woke me up, and I kind of laid there a little bit and listened, didn't hear anything, and I thought, well, this is really strange. How can I just 
suddenly wake up like this because I've always been a person. I've, I never snap wide awake. It takes me a while to get going. You know, an hour or two after I wake up, then I finally figure out what's going on. So I'm totally wide awake, and I raise up on my elbows and just kind of look around my room, and I look out through my open bedroom door into the hallway, and peering around the door frame of one of the door frames in the hallway is this elderly black gentleman staring straight at me, and I screamed bloody murder because my family was white. We didn't have anyone black living with us, didn't have anyone else living with us, and... Uh, so my presumption as a five-year-old child was somebody's broken into the home. There's an intruder in the home. This is someone I don't recognize. And when I screamed, he walked around the doorway into the hall, started walking down the hallway toward me, toward my bedroom, and his eyes locked on mine, never looked away. He didn't have a menacing look. It was more kind of a bemused look. And he was every single bit as solid as you or I. He wasn't translucent, wasn't transparent. He was totally, completely solid. And I can even tell you how he was dressed. And I knew he was elderly because he had close-cropped white hair. He had a white mustache. And he wore a red flannel shirt. He had on khaki pants, black shoes, and a black belt. And the closer he got, I screamed bloody murder again because here this stranger is coming for me in the middle of the night. And my parents started to come running. And when they did, he began to vanish slowly and then disappeared entirely by the time my parents got there. And uh, I was absolutely just out of my mind with fright. My mother was trying to hold me and console me, and my mother and father were telling me, look, you've just had a nightmare. There's nobody here. There's nothing going on. And my fright was so real, I convinced them that somebody was in the house. And my father actually went and looked under all the beds, looked in all the closets, checked all the doors and windows, and, of course, everything was locked up tight. Nobody in a physical body was there with us. And so that's when it dawned on me I had seen my first ghost. And I didn't know why he had come. I didn't know if he was going to come back. My parents were trying to get me to calm down, go back to sleep. And, of course, that took hours and hours. And after that occurrence, then I spent uh, several weeks probably looking over my shoulder frequently and having a very difficult time to lay down and, uh, and go to sleep at night because my, my constant fear was this ghost is going to come back, and what's he going to want? Is he going to want to talk to me? Is he going to ask me to do something scary? You know, why do you show up in the first place? And as time went on, these paranormal, physical paranormal manifestations began to occur in my life that were nothing that I dreamed or meditated or daydreamed or hallucinated because they were also experienced by other people in the physical realm. And when those started... Uh, I was getting close to the age of six by then, and when those physical manifestations started, uh, something clicked in me, and I wouldn't have been able to describe it as a young child, but I had this understanding that the gentleman had come to open up the portal to these experiences. That was why he had come, and that I didn't need to be afraid of anything any longer, and that I may not understand everything that was happening to me, but at some point down the road I would, and it would be an important part and my life's development, and then eventually, as I learned, uh, and the ability to help others. So this entity, John, doesn't sound like your, dare I say, run-of-the-mill ghost. Full-on apparition, a solid figure, not diaphanous. 
was it in fact uh, a, a ghost or some other type of entity? Because you, you say that he came to help you activate your psychic abilities. So what are we talking about here? A ghost, a spirit guide? What, what was it? I'm thinking maybe he was like a, a guardian angel or a spirit guide of some type that came to say, okay, you know, it's time to awaken this gift in this kid, and uh, I'm the one chosen to do that. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think he was a run-of-the-mill ghost. I think he was someone very special, and uh, he opened up a realm in my life that has been a tremendous blessing to me and enabled me to be a blessing to others, and I've thanked him a jillion times. I've never seen him again. I have the feeling that out there on the periphery somewhere, he may be kind of watching me, checking in on me periodically. Hey, kid, making sure you're doing this right, you know. But uh, it's, it's really been a blessing. And when this entity disappeared, as you say, how did he disappear? Did he just, was he there one minute and then he was simply gone the next, or did he slowly dissipate? He dissipated. He disappeared very slowly, and it was almost like the Cheshire Cat. He started at his feet, and his legs kind of began to get translucent and then transparent and opened up the rest of his body and then all the rest of it vanished but it probably took uh, several seconds for that to occur so it wasn't just a, a quick you know winking out it was it was a gradual process very dramatic and uh, I, I certainly remember it to this day even though this event this ghostly intrusion took place over 60 years ago your your memory is incredible such exacting detail is that one of the psychic gifts that you received from this visitation enhanced memory uh, obviously you were meant to remember this in such great detail uh, I think so and I think that must be a, um, a like you say kind of a uh, an aspect of the gift that I was given because uh, throughout my life I can I can remember details going back I remember asking my mother one time, I said, I'm going to tell you something I remember, and you tell me how old I was and tell me if I'm remembering it right. And I told her, and she said, my God, you remembered it exactly as it happened, and you were two. And uh, so my entire life I've, I've had this really good memory, and I think that's probably part of an aspect of this awakening and this gift. I had a friend one time told me a few years back, he said, I had told him something that we had talked about in conversation years earlier, and he said, man, you need to forget some things. <laughs> so <laughs> I've always had this good memory, always enjoyed that good memory. So when did your experiences with the paranormal start to intensify? Did you say around the age of six? What happened? Yeah, um, as, as soon as I had the experience with the old black gentleman, I begin to experience these manifestations on the physical realm, uh, solid things, physical things, things affecting objects, and other people would see them as well. And then I discovered that I was psychic when I was getting close to six or about six years old. And the way that came about, I was out in my backyard playing with a toy, running around, and this car pulled in the driveway. And I didn't recognize the people. I didn't recognize the car. I'd never met them. And so I ran inside to get my mom and dad. And uh, I said, there's, there's somebody just pulled into the driveway, and I don't know who it is. And they said, okay, we'll come out and check. So they came out and I said, oh, these are friends of ours. And they were friends of my parents I'd never met. And so I said, well, okay. So uh, they got out to come, and, and they were standing on the sidewalk talking with my parents before they went inside. And I was goofing around with my toy. And I came up and got right in the big middle of them. And I had this sudden vision. <laughs> and 
with all this clarity, and I, I just interrupted their conversation, and I said, you folks have just been on vacation. And I said, you drove that car that's in the driveway, and you took two kids with you. They're not with you today, but you have two kids, and you took them with you on this vacation. And I said, you stayed at this hotel that was painted this certain color, and it looked like this in front. It had this many stories, and there were trees in front that looked like this, and they were regularly spaced. And then the back pool area looked like this. And I'll never forget the lady's husband was kind of like looking back and forth at everybody like, well, this bemused look like, what in the world's going on? And the, his wife was looking at me, literally jaw agape, eyes bugged out, looking at me like I had cobras growing out my ears. And she looked at my parents and she said, how the hell can he possibly know that? And my parents were flustered, and I think my mother said something like, well, you know, kids and their imaginations. And she goes, kids and their imaginations? She said, no, how the hell could he possibly know that? And my parents were kind of getting a little flustered, and she said, that's what we came to tell you about this vacation that we just took. And we drove our car, that car in the driveway. We took our two kids with us. We stayed at this hotel that looked exactly like John described. How the hell is that possible? How could he have known this? And my mother and father said something like, you know, John, go play now. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you folks. And off I went with my toy. And I guess I scared him to death because I never came to visit my parents again. And that's when I discovered that I could see into people's lives. And I could tell things about where they had been or where they were going to be, uh, what their emotions, their feelings were, things that had gone on around in them in the past. And then I began to discern that I could also accurately predict their futures and that would happen that would come true as well and so that occurred again about the age of six and then all of that began to mesh together the psychic gift and the uh, the physical manifestations and kind of started to make some sense like oh okay how this is what i'm supposed to do in life how did your psychic abilities and paranormal visitations affect your relationship with your parents and what was it like for you growing up what was it like with your peers? Well, my mom was a very strong believer in paranormal and psychic phenomena, and in her family lineage, there had been a lot of people that had had experiences and, and believed in that. My father was a closet believer, and uh, the paranormal scared him. He was a very strong guy, a very physical guy, very rough and rugged. He had been a rancher, and he owned a bar, and he was his own bouncer, and so he could handle himself in a fist fight. But the paranormal scared him because it was nothing he could lay his hands on. It came at him on its whim and on its terms, and there was nothing he could do about it. And he had to realize the reality of it, but it, it scared the life out of him. So he was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm not going to talk about it. But my mother encouraged me uh, the best that she could and answered all the questions that she could. And then uh, growing up, it, it made life pretty difficult for a while because when you have those gifts and you begin to express these experiences that you've had to people that all of their life have been told such things don't exist and you don't talk about such things and so on and so forth, uh, then it, it, you get ostracized. It makes it difficult for you because you're, you're shunned or made fun of or whatever. And uh, so that was, that was difficult growing up. That was a, a problematic thing. And interestingly enough, it drove me deeper to seek the other side and to seek the spiritual communication and to befriend these entities that were coming to me. And I think I had a richer relationship with them 
than I did uh, people in the flesh. I mentioned in the introduction you're a, a motorcycle enthusiast. Tell me about your motorbike. You named her Melissa. Why Melissa? She told me that was her name when I met her, and I said, okay. <laughs> so that's the answer to that. <laughs> okay, so now when you say she told me her name, are you waxing poetic here, or are you suggesting that your motorcycle, Melissa, has some kind of a spiritual attachment and the motorcycle communicated to you or the spirit, Melissa, communicated to you? Yeah, quite literally spiritually because uh, I believe that there are objects that inherently have, uh, let's call it a spirit or an intelligence of some type, for lack of a better word. And uh, if you... Uh, well, it's like, you know, when we were young, if you had an old beat-up car, but you loved the thing, and uh, you took and you washed it and you waxed it and you cleaned the windshields really good and you vacuumed it out and it was all sparkly and shiny, for a couple of weeks it ran better. And that's something that a lot of people I've talked to over the years have observed. So, you know, we think of inanimate objects as just being just that, just some soulless object, but there's increasing evidence that things have either some inherent type of awareness or perhaps some attached type of awareness. But when I uh, came upon her and, and bought her brand spanking new, that was what she told me her name was. And I said, okay, good. And we've had marvelous adventures ever since. So is Melissa attached to the motorcycle? Is she a spirit attached to an inanimate object? I think that it's, um, I would call it an inherent spirit. And I think that things, you know, people like, uh, I'm writing a third book now, and I talk about the inherent properties of things, like tarot cards having an, an intrinsic ability or power about them to do certain things, <clears throat> excuse me, or to uh, project certain energies or, or interact in certain ways. And I do believe that objects possess that. I believe that rocks, crystals, trees, uh, the things that we use on a daily basis have that. And there's a lot of people that believe that. There was a famous sculptor that uh, used to buy, uh, David Smith, that was the abstract expressionist sculptor, would buy these huge quantities of steel and just lay them in his shop. And he said, the longer they're around me, the more energies they absorb, and the more artistic they become, the more creative they enable me to be. And so there's a lot of people that uh, that believe in that, and I, I definitely believe in that from a spiritual perspective. So to what extent is your motorcycle, Melissa, part of your paranormal investigations? Does Melissa point you in the right direction towards haunted locations, etc.? Uh, she has. That and my guys on the other side, and I use the term my guys as an umbrella term for all the spirits on the other side that have, a lot of them have been with me since childhood, and they're my guardian angels, friends and loved ones that have, have crossed over, uh, the spirit guides and uh, uh, other entities that I don't think we even have correct names or understanding of, but they're there in a very positive and very helpful way. So I have a lot of guidance when I'm doing things. All right, John, we're going to take a break here. We'll, we'll come back and uh, continue to talk about haunted objects. John Russell is with us, professional psychic and a paranormal investigator. 
the author of Writing with Ghosts, Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic, back with more of our conversation right after these. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. A trusted sponsor of my show, GetTheTea.com, is having their summer sale. Hey guys, let's talk about Father's Day. What kind of gift would you like to give your dad? Why not think about a gift that would help his digestion? Remember, Life Change Tea is an amazing gentle cleanse that he can use daily for gut health. Who doesn't need that? I know I do. I drink it every day. It comes in three different flavors, natural, peppermint, and my favorite, pomegranate. You need to try it. The combination of 12 herbs just does a beautiful number on my insides. Right now, they're having their big summer sale. Buy three, get one free. That's right, buy three, get one free. Life Change Tea is not a fad. They've been around since 2007, helping thousands of people, and it's made right in the USA. It's easy to brew, keep it in your fridge, and you drink it daily. It's summertime, and I always want to have a big glass of iced tea. That's why I drink Life Change Tea. Buy now and get one month of tea for free. Go to getthetea.com forward slash Richard to order yours today. Use the code Richard10 to get an additional $10 off plus free shipping. That's over $50 in savings. Again, that's getthetea.com forward slash Richard and use the code Richard and the number 10, Richard10 for $10 more plus free shipping. Don't miss out. Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. John Russell is with us, and uh, we are having one amazing conversation here, and he's uh, conducted numerous paranormal investigations on his motorcycle, Melissa. So where does Melissa take you, John? I've put almost 114,000 miles on that bike since I've had her, and I bought her brand new without a mile owner. So we've done a lot of riding. We've been all over Florida and up into parts of Georgia over a, a, a pretty uh, large amount of Georgia. And we've gone to uh, cemeteries and we've gone to uh, retail places that you wouldn't think would, that there would be any dramatic manifestations. And we've gone to out-of-the-way uh, state parks and woods that have proved to be very haunted. And uh, I write about all those things in my books. And it's it's been a wonderful uh, an exciting adventure. You see, uh, in addition to, you know, f solid uh, apparitions, you see ghostly type figures as well? Oh, absolutely. That, and uh, I've, I've seen nature spirits. I've seen uh, the most mind-blowing thing to me was uh, to see a, a fairy. 
I didn't quite know if they really existed. Then I saw one, and I had to jump on that bandwagon, so okay, I believe. I was sitting outside one night, and uh, from across the street, right over the uh, rooftop of my neighbor's house, this glowing object was flying across the street toward me. And I was like, what in the world is this? And as it got closer, and like I say, it was right over the rooftop, so you know, close enough you can see it very clearly, and it was either had an aura or it was like glowing from within. And as it got closer, I could see that it was a little person about two or three feet long, had hair, had wings, had clothes. And I was just, I was gobsmacked. I was like, good Lord. And it flew over and I was like, hey, <laughs> come back. And doggone it, it didn't come back. But so I've, I've seen an incredible amount of things in my time. I've seen nature spirits manifest some incredible things. I've seen the intelligences behind crop circles manifest a little mini crop circle and, and uh, give me all kinds of signs. I've seen things in the stars and the heavens. I've seen, uh, had a ton of UFO experiences. All right. Um, is there a common denominator with all of these paranormal phenomena, do you think, whether we're talking about UFOs, whether we're talking about ghostly apparitions, nature spirits? I think the common denominator, now I'm, I'm going to put UFOs outside of that because I've always viewed them as physical objects and as visitors from another planet. I don't have proof of that, but that's my viewpoint. It seems to be logical. And our own government in the report they release says, okay, yes, they're physical objects and uh, they show up on, on various centers and so on and so forth. Now, there does seem to be a paranormal component sometimes associated with UFOs or produced by UFOs. So that's a whole other thing that we have to explore and get into. Uh, but for the, for the rest of it, I just put that under the umbrella term of paranormal or supernatural, whatever you want to call it. And there are divisions within those things. For example, a, a haunted object is obviously propelled by a different energy than nature spirits out in the forest are. Those types of things. So there's we might as well put it all under the umbrella of paranormal, but then underneath that there are these, I guess, divisions or classifications, you could say, of various types of phenomena that you experience that I don't believe is, is all the same. I believe it's all different, in other words. So the, 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 the haunted object arena, right. let's call it. Um, let's, let's delve into that a little bit. Uh, am I wrong to assume that uh, the objects that are most likely to have some sort of a spirit attachment would be antiques? No, like in any object can have an attachment or can have, again, that energy that we could ascribe as being some type of intelligence or spirit or energy or whatever. I have a, uh, uh, at the time, I bought this brand spanking new toy camera. I'm a photographer, and my wife and I were in the store, and there was this large toy camera and all these bright colors made out of plastic about the size of a regular 35-millimeter camera. And when you pressed a button... Uh, shutter sound went off and little LED lights flashed where the, the flash would be on a built-in flash on a regular 35-millimeter camera. And if you uh, pressed another uh, button, then it played a little song. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to have this. And my wife looked at me like I was an idiot and rolled her eyes. And she said, you're a child. And I said, oh, no, but look, I, it's so neat. I've got to have this. So I bought it, took it home, and 
set it you know on the on the shelf and it started going off by itself and it became increasingly uh, active to the point that when I was on radio shows, sometimes it'd start going off, and it would go off for like five minutes nonstop, and the DJs would hear it, and they would go, what's going on? What's that in the background? I'd have to tell them the story. So it was this little haunted camera, and it's, it's brand new. And it would go off at all hours of the day and night, and we finally noticed that there was a pattern to it. And the pattern was that when it went off and began to be exceptionally active, there was some a significant change that was fixing to come about in our life. And so it could be a move, or it could be like uh, I was contacted to shoot the TV pilot for the History Channel. And when things like that, before they would occur, the camera would just absolutely go crazy for a few days right prior to whatever event was happening. So it kind of became an indicator in our lives of, uh, you know, important changes that were about to occur. And again, the camera was brand new, so you know that was something that there was no antiquity or history to or anything like that. So it uh, it was active that way for a long time, and then uh, you know there are objects that are old that have uh, some meaning or significance or energy or spirit attached to them or inherent with them, but there's also new ones that do as well. Why would a um, let's say a spirit or someone who's passed over choose to attach uh, oneself uh, itself to uh, an inanimate object right well I think that you know if we're talking about someone that's passed over uh, then you're talking about somebody and people always say oh you know well they're earthbound or they haven't found the light or this and the other when they need to cross over well if you're dead you've crossed over and you know the lights there the lights available to you you know you're dead you know you're there and you're not earthbound you're choosing to hang around for whatever reason and people on the other side go across and retain their memory their will their sense of humor their intellect their motivations drives and desires as they adapt to life on the other side and i think that this misunderstanding occurs that people can't move on and it's not that they can't move on it's they don't want to move on they may say okay i've got to hang around and, and protect my wife that I left behind, or my daughter, or I've got to, you know, go and try and communicate with my friend and tell him I see something that would be beneficial to him if I can get that across. So, you know, people on the other side have their reasons for hanging around, for being around, and then I think that there are a host of uh, of spiritual beings. Again, some of these we may not even know what they are, who they are, how to classify them, and for whatever reasons they have they choose to hang around it may be out of a need for companionship it may be a, a beneficial need a benevolent need uh, wanting to guide us or to help us or it may be something as simple as a, a lower form what we would consider a lower form of intelligence that uh, decides to make its presence known and decides to help out in whatever way it can oh that's interesting so i mean this is a widely held uh, view i would say uh from you know, the, the, the many, many paranormal researchers or investigators that I've talked to over the years is that, that there are some spirits that they, they don't understand, they, they don't realize they're dead. Uh, you're saying, no, that's not true. Once you're dead, you have passed on. Yeah. You, they are making there, a conscious decision yeah. to remain yeah. here on Earth. 
Exactly, exactly right. And I had a um, a lucid dream one night in which one of my spirit guides came to me and said, I'm going to show you what it's like to die. And the analogy they gave me was driving a car with your car being the physical body. And they said, look, when you're driving the car down the highway, you're aware that you're in your car. You're touching the steering wheel, you're adjusting the radio, you're doing whatever. You know you're in your car. And then the car starts sputtering and it runs out of gas and you pull over by the side of the road, you open the door and you get out and you're aware that you're no longer in your car. You're aware that you're out of the car. And they said, think of that as an analogy for the physical body. When you cross to the other side, you're suddenly aware, oh, hey, I'm not in the car anymore. (laughs) I'm not in my physical body anymore. So you're aware that you're on the other side. And uh, and then you get into all these things about send people to the light. Well, you don't do that. You can't do that. People are there. They know they're there. They're met by friends and, and uh, family on the other side, guardian angels, so on and so forth. So they have this help to adapt and to move on and to do what they want to do. And uh, I was on a podcast the other day, and the host and I were talking about, we got to talking about this and how ludicrous it is that people come and go send people to the light and this, that, and the other uh, because we're talking about all the incidents that occur, like at the, uh, what is the Queen Mary that's haunted, right? And the, the little right. girl at the pool or whoever it is, and supposedly doesn't, you know, people go, well, honey, you're dead, and go to the light, and blah, 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 and there she's gone. And he said, that what's so funny is every time a new paranormal group comes through to investigate, there she is again, and they send her to the light again, you know? So either it's Excellent. somebody on the, on the other side having a, uh, a joke at our expense, or it's some type of uh, replay in the atmosphere that, you know, happens over and over again. But there's no need to try and send people to the light. They're over there. They know they're over there. And uh, that's that's what I've been told, and that kind of bears out with all the paranormal investigations I've done. Started doing paranormal investigations at the age of 11, and I'm 68 now, so I got a little bit of experience in that venue. Many years ago, when I was first starting out in talk radio, I was a, a producer, a chase producer, and we received a letter from a, a couple, I believe, they were in Cambridge, Ontario, and they ran an antique store. And they came into possession of an, an ornately carved bench. And it had on the back of the bench, I think it was a, supposed to be a depiction of the, uh, is it the Greek god of wine? Is that Bacchus? Or is that the Roman god? Anyway, but it looked somewhat demonic, let's say. Bad things started to happen. I think I don't think she, she worked in the uh, antique store, but she lost her job or he lost his job. And then there was one illness after another and money problems and things like that. And then they started to see apparitions in the house, not a solid figure. So they alerted it to us and they brought, they actually brought the bench into the radio station. They brought it on their truck and we ended up auctioning it off. They wanted to get rid of it. And uh, what do you think was happening with that bench? Is it possible that negative energies, maybe even demons will attach themselves to a piece of furniture? Well, I think that certainly negative energies can. I'm real reluctant to go the demon route because there's so many people in the paranormal community that throw demons around just for everything and uh, look you know all we have to do is look at the real world we know that not everybody's a good person out there we know that there are bad people that do bad things and if we extrapolate that to the spiritual realm certainly that must apply and hold true to some but I think a lot of things that people experience we have a default a knee-jerk react that most of us go to and that's from our religious training or upbringing or whatever and that default position is that anything that happens especially if it's outside 
of uh, the religion in which we were raised, then it's got to be demonic or satanic or evil or dangerous. And a lot of people have been told that these things don't occur, that they're not real. And then they do, and it scares them. It's like they're confronted with a reality they've never experienced before, and they have to acknowledge that reality and or they worry about, am I going crazy? Am I going nuts? Am I, you know, have I lost my mind here? So there's all these factors that come into play, and then a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, like you have an object like that, and it may make you more aware of what occurs in your life. So you may have been feeling poorly to begin with and ignoring it, and the bench comes into your life, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm sick, and it's like, well, you may have been heading that way anyways, or you may have been doing things physically neglecting yourself in such a way that you're going to run yourself down, make yourself sick, and you associate that with the bent. And there may have been circumstances that caused a job loss anyway. And then you look, oh, well, the bench came into my life. I lost my job and all this kind of thing. So we always have to look at the, the most practical associations when we begin to investigate something. And in all of my investigations, I've not encountered anything that would be like, you know, the demonic from... Uh, from uh, The Exorcist, anything like that. Uh, I've never been, in all the investigations I've done since the age of 11, I've done some very high-profile ones, uh, as well as several that just what might be deemed ordinary or, or mundane, and I've never been threatened, I've never been pushed, I've never been scratched, I've never been bitten, I've never felt uh, like I was uh, overcome by evil, I've never had anything evil attach itself to me and follow me home. And I think a lot of these people, you know, you get a lot of people that they think they're paranormal investigators and they're not. And I mean, you, all you got to do is watch TV and some of the big shows and they challenge the ghost, which is a stupid thing to do. And the ghost does something, then they scream and run like little girls. Well, that's what you're there for is to encounter and interact with these beings. And so a lot of people that proclaim themselves to be paranormal investigators, they don't have any idea what they're doing. They don't have any idea what the spiritual realm is actually like. And like I say, I've had these interactions since I was a kid. And we mentioned the number 800. It's been well over a thousand physical manifestations that I've experienced in my life many times. Other people have experienced these with me, so that's not something that I dreamed or daydreamed or hallucinated or meditated or envisioned. These are actual physical uh, manifestations that occur on the physical realm. We Sometimes we've audio recorded them, we've video recorded them, uh, we've gotten photographs of them. So these are real things that are actually really occurring. And my position in all of this has been to say, okay, what's real, what isn't, what works, what doesn't, why is this manifesting, and then... What can we learn from that? How can it make our lives better if we work with it in a reasonable and respectful way? And then after we make our lives better, how can we make someone else's lives better? And that's where you have to go with this. That's that's the thing to do. It's like these paranormal investigators go out and they use a REM pod or they use EVP or this, that, and the other, and they get a manifestation. Well, fine. But who made the manifestation? Why did they make the manifestation? Do they have a message that they want to get across? What is that message? What's the purpose of that message? And that's what a real paranormal investigator has to do. And to do that, I believe you have to have a certain sensitivity or a psychic gift or ability to go into it and not be biased or prejudiced that everything you encounter is dark or evil or demonic or dangerous or whatever, because that's not the case. And my experience, uh, overwhelmingly, all of my experiences have been positive, and my guardian angels, whatever you want to call them, 
have literally, no exaggeration, literally saved my life on many occasions. So there is a a tremendous positive benefit to this realm, but if you approach it properly and not in an idiotic, disrespectful way. I mean, can you cleanse an object, uh, John? Is there any particular protocol if you, you bring home a nice antique bonnet chest from the 1850s and you're just simply not interested in having a visitor as living rent-free in your home? Well, you can cleanse objects and that kind of energizes them with a positivity. But if there is some intelligence inherent in that object or some spirit that has attached itself to that object, more than likely, no, you're not going to be able to. In every occasion that I've seen where a so-called exorcism or portal closing or sending a spirit to the other side or whatever occurred, uh, not only did it not work, it usually made the activity worse. Hmm. So what are we My to do? My advice is always to, to make peace with the spirit, find out who it is, why it's there, what it wants. And uh, you know, I know we're running out of time. I could give you a lot of examples of that, but that's, that's the shorthand answer is interact with the spirit, find out why it's there. And a lot of times these spirits can give you uh, some protection, some help, some guidance, companionship, whatever. All right. Uh, I'm going to grab a couple of quick questions from the okay. YouTube live chat, and then I'm going to ask you about your guardian angel that saved your life on numerous okay. occasions. Um, let's see. Re-Evolution Cafe Orchestra. <laughs> I don't know where they get these handles, but this is the uh, this is Re-Evolution Cafe Orchestra asks, um, uh, if we live – oh, this is the whole uh, living in a simulation um, oh, okay. yeah, I'm familiar with which is very interesting. I've done a number of shows on this. But if we live in a simulation, uh, what are ghosts? Or maybe another way of asking it, would that explain ghosts? I don't think so, and I don't think we live in a simulation. I think this is reality, and I think it's a created reality. We don't know who created it. You know, there are people who say, that, oh, well, the aliens created it, and we're the children of the aliens. Well, that goes back to the spiritual issue, who created the aliens. There has to be an ultimate creator, and I think we have to look at this as a physical reality with a spiritual origin, and that's what we're seeking is that spiritual origin. So I don't buy the simulation, the game theory, this, that, and the other. You know, you can get off into pseudo-philosophy all night long on that, but look, if you don't believe in gravity, go jump off a building, you're going to go splat. If you don't eat and drink, <laughs> you're going to die. If you... Uh, say the table in front of you is just uh, vibrating molecules and it's not even solid, go try and punch your hand through it. So we have to live in and with these realities in practical ways. Uh, American Zero asks, uh, John, what is your most memorable paranormal experience? My most memorable was when I was, again, a small child. My mother and I had gone, and I write about this in my books, uh, we had gone to visit some friends and when we came out, it was dusk, uh, the darkest stage of twilight where you'd need to turn your lights on to drive. And as we were about to leave, this pentagram, this five-pointed star, came very, very slowly falling from the sky right in front of us, right into this vacant lot next to the neighbor's house that we had been visiting. And it was bright yellow, looked like it was about a foot thick. It was flat, and it was about the, the size, the height of, uh, say, a normal one-story house and kind of trailing this phosphorescent glow as it fell 
uh, very, very slowly. It fell like in slow motion, fell into this vacant lot. And my mother was terrified. I was trying to jump out of the car and go see what it was. And she was telling me, lock the windows, roll up the, <laughs> roll up the windows, lock the doors. And she was about to zoom off. She was terrified. And I was like, well, wait a minute. If, if this thing is like fiery and it goes into this vacant lot that's full of all this dry brush, it's in the middle of summer in West Texas, won't it set a fire and, and won't our neighbors be in danger? Shouldn't we wait to see what happens? And so she restrained herself enough to, uh, to do that. And we saw the, the object, the glow vanish kind of in upon itself and wink out and disappear and nothing happened. And she took off like a bat out of hell and I answered her jigging question she couldn't answer. And uh, that was that was one of the most memorable. I've had a lot, but that was one of the most memorable. My word. What was that all about, do you think? Well, my wife tells me it means you were going to be a star someday. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm still waiting, so I don't know. But <laughs> there's been a lot of... Uh, a lot of activity with the stars over the years that we don't have time to get into here, so maybe that was kind of a, a precursor of some of that. Right, right, and that'll be a preview. We'll have you back on the show another time and uh, and yeah. delve further. Okay, so um, a guardian angel uh, has saved your life on a number on of occasions. Many, um, many share occasions. one with the us, most, if you could. Yeah, the most dramatic that I can share with you real quickly, uh, I was riding my motorcycle and uh, out on the, uh, the interstate, and... I had this audible voice spoke in my head and said, move into the left lane. Now, this occurs much quicker than it's going to tell me, take me to tell you about it. And uh, and I argued with the guys after all these years. I was like, you know, guys, look, I'm, I've just got a day off here. I'm enjoying my ride. The countryside's beautiful. It's a beautiful day. I don't want to go faster. I've got really superb high-speed riding skills, but I don't want to. I just want to kind of geezer along here and enjoy the countryside. And this time they said, John moving to the far left lane now. I was like, okay. So I jockey my way over there. And as I get over there and I'm thinking, now what in the world was that all about? This dramatic crash occurs in the right lane, right where I had been, where this guy's car spins around, is pointing the wrong way on the interstate. People are breaking and doing all kinds of evasive maneuvers to try and run, you know, keep from hitting him, running into him. Detritus from the wreck is blowing across the lanes like you know, some kind of uh, <laughs> shrapnel. There's all this debris, bumper parts and hubcaps and things are blowing across there, broken out headlights, and I'm dodging all of that. And so by listening to the voice, even though I argued with them the first time, but by listening to the voice of the spirits that I know that protect me and guide me and then obeying what they told me to do, I'm here to tell you about that story. I'm guessing. I mean, we all we all sometimes hear things, or you know, we we say, "Well, my gut tells me." Is exactly. it sometimes our gut, or is it always our our, our guardian angels? Well, we get into a, a big debate there because you know, are they influencing us through our good instincts? However, it comes, we have to listen to that and we have to obey that. And people say, "Yeah, but John, you know, people get in accidents or people die on this, that, and the other," and that's true. And regardless of what we do, our time is going to come, yes. But I think the biggest problem that we have is that we don't listen, number one. We're always plugged in. We always have our cell phones or we have the radio or the TV or the, you know, the this and the other, the earbuds in and all this going on. So we can't hear. We're always distracted. And so we have to learn to listen 
And then when we do listen, we receive that message. We have to learn to obey and act on that message, even if it goes against what we hope it's going to be or what we want to do. And if, if we're just rabid to go someplace and do something and the voice says, no, 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 don't go tonight, don't go, then that's the voice we have to listen to and obey, and that's how we stay out of trouble. And if more people did that, uh, we'd have uh, we'd have less problems, I firmly believe. Uh, well, I think we have time for one more question from the YouTube live chat. Not Gordian right. asks, are some objects more prone to being haunted? I think objects that we give, yeah, the short answer, yes. I think objects that we give a lot of attention to or a lot of energy to or that we have a lot of preconceived notions about may be more apt to receive or collect energy or have some type of energy attached to them. So, yes, I think so. That's a good question. All right. Well, thank you all in the YouTube live chat for those questions. So where's Melissa taking you? Uh, well, this is a Memorial Day long weekend. Where is Melissa taking you, I don't know, the next few days? Do you have another investigation? Well, unfortunately, I don't right now. I'm a little stove up, and uh, Melissa's sitting out there in the garage waiting patiently on me to get better. Uh, so that's that's the extent of that. And in the meantime, everybody can read about our adventures in the books, and I am writing on a third book that I hope will be out uh, September, October this year, and that's going to be a lot of fun. It's called 20 Ways to Increase Your Psychic Abilities, and what I do is one chapter is devoted to one technique. For example, the first chapter is psychometry, and I define what it is. I explain in detail. I take you by the hand, lead you step-by-step step how to learn it, how to practice it, how to get good at it, and then the real-world application of it. And I do that for 20 different techniques in the book. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of folks. So we're not you're not born psychic. We all have this ability to develop it. We all have this ability, and to a degree. And it's like I may study piano for 10 years and barely be able to play chopsticks passably, and some five-year-old kid is ripping off Beethoven like crazy, crazy. So we all have different levels of gifts and different plateaus that we're going to reach. Some are going to go, obviously, a lot higher and a lot further than others. But everybody can learn to practice it to a degree and to become proficient to a degree, at least enough to help you in your everyday life and, and real-world circumstances. John, it was a great pleasure meeting you, and uh, we'll definitely get you back on the program and uh, hope you're feeling better soon and back on uh, Melissa and uh, exploring the uh, highways and byways. Thank you hope so much so, for Richard, this. Richard, thank you so much. It's been a blast being here. I look forward to talking with you again. There you go. John Russell, riding with ghosts, angels, and the spirits of the dead, and a knock in the attic. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.